The Russian artist uh, Nikolai Yurenchenko, he painted a picture back in 1888. The picture is that of five diverse prisoners. I don't, did you get that picture? There it is, yeah. There's a soldier, a worker, a peasant, a mother, and a child, and they're huddled against that. Uh, they're huddled against and peering through the barred window of a halted prison rail car. And the child reaches through, you can see, imagine that the child's reaching through the steel bars and feeding the pigeons on the railway platform. The title of this painting is, There is Life Everywhere. I would say, Truthfully and regardless of the day or the dilemma, we each have an opportunity to embrace something. Not only the fact that our hearts are beating, but the why are they beating. With his title, Yurinchenko is making a statement, but maybe he's more than that. Maybe he's also asking a question, a question addressed not only to our minds, but also to our hearts. And that question is, will we embrace that there is life everywhere? It's going to be a long ramp to get us up a little bit. We're not going to go very high anyway. But this new series that I'm going to do, I, I want you to hear me. out. You're going to have to listen to me because you're, uh, you're going to have to hear me for a long time here for a minute before you hopefully can start to grasp what I'm saying. Even when I say that word life, people define it in, in many, many ways. Is it, is it merely cells reproducing themselves and our hearts beating. Is that what life is to you? We, we all have our ideas of what life is, but there is still this gnawing thing in all of us, or for most of us, I, haven't, I, I would imagine that there is more than that. It's more than just your heart beating. It's more than just cells reproducing in your body. There is something more. But what is that more? I say that you have life, you have it, but what is that there's more to it. Is it fulfilling relationships? And is it family? Is it certain amount of money in the bank or a career or you have enough stuff or you're healthy and, and absence of difficulty or, or absence of disease or, or oh man, it, in order for me to be alive, you got to throw in some exciting vacations or you got to throw in some, a lot of parties and a lot of fun. Is that life to you? A conglomeration of those, or one or two of those, or all of those, and, and a whole bunch more. So is, if that is life, then is life a cycle of well-crafted circumstances? Is that what living truly is? Deep down, I again will say that I think that this, this hunch that there's more than just air in our lungs and circumstances that we like, there's more to it. The, the painter painting that I, that I referred to, it was actually inspired by a short story written by Leo Tolstoy uh, three years earlier. The story is titled What Men Live By, and he was a Christian, and so he began with 1 John three fourteen was the story that what men live by is how he started it with 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed from what? Death unto We've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. 
He that loveth not his brother is still dead. That's what scripture is saying. Those words harness a central theme of Jesus and his ministry. Those words go to the very core of why Jesus came. Before all of us is the choice to remain in a realm that Jesus calls dead or to come alive and transition to a realm that Jesus calls life. We have this opportunity. John 5, 24, I'm not sure I gave that to you. I apologize. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from again death to life. Coming alive. Jesus again referring to something that happens now. Yes, we know everlasting life. We know we're going to heaven and we can't wait for that and live in all eternity with Jesus and worship him and have our little mansion, all that. That's wonderful stuff and I'm excited about that. But while I'm still here, do I live or do I go through motions? Yeroshenko's life that can be found everywhere is this life into which I think Jesus is trying to invite us today. It's a way of doing life that can be present in everything we do every single day. Pastor Saucer preached a sermon masterpiece a few Sundays ago about this phenomenal message about, he talked about being a disciple. And it's not a hat we put on when we come to church and then take it off. A being a disciple of Jesus is just who we are. I come to church and I'm a disciple. I go on vacation and I'm a disciple. I clean the house. Just kidding. I clean the house and I'm a disciple. I wash the car, and I'm a, it doesn't matter what I do. I never take that hat off to not be a disciple. So when you're thinking those terms, that this idea of being alive in Christ, it's not just, well, when the music gets rocking and we get dancing here at the sanctuary, I'm glad you're alive, and yeah, you feel life, but it's much more than just a Sunday feeling being alive in him means something. Everybody experiences their heart beating and their lungs filling with air, but not everyone I submit to you experiences life. It's more than just what we do. It's who we are. We have been changed from death to life. We go from just existing to truly living. I'm pushing hard and I'm going to continue to push hard on this because again, you know me, my counseling at heart, but I'm so tired of the children of God just going through the motions and being depressed and, and don't have anything to live for. That is not what Jesus came to save us to. Dear Lord, I hope I can just make it to heaven. I hope you can too. But on your way, I hope you're alive. I hope you're living while you're getting there. 
Jesus can overcome the problem of a life consumed by just merely existing. He can satisfy a yearning to come alive. Let's consider that painting. Can you throw that painting back up again? Look real close. Do you see across that car? Do you see the other sixth figure over there? It's a silhouette of another prisoner who's just looking out another window. Maybe with just an empty stare, he's looking the other way. Maybe lost in a sea of his own hopelessness. Throughout our lives, how many times have we moved to the other side of the car and stared through bars, prison bars of pain, prison bars of disappointment, prison bars of just plain tired and busy all the time, just simply existing, not truly living and not truly having a mission and a goal in our life. As you get older, you discover more things that life, at least in some ways, has a way of turning out not quite how you thought it was going to turn out. When you were younger, a lot of times, children and teenagers, many times they'll have, they'll, they'll, they, they haven't quite come to grips, or maybe they don't want to, I don't know, whichever the case, but probably children haven't come to grips yet. When, when, when you think of your entire life ahead of you, and some people are planners, and you ask them, they're 12 years old, they're going to go to this college, they're going to get this degree, and then they're going to go to this college and get this master's degree. And then they'll get married when they're 26. And then they're going to have three kids. It's going to be a boy and a girl and a boy. It's just it's like, y'all, I'm glad you plan your life. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But at some point, I think the Bible says we need to add in there every once in a while, if the Lord wills, what the Lord wants, his ways are above my ways. But when your life and your entire life's ahead, you just want to assume that everything's just going to come down your, at your doorstep. And, and I pray it does. I pray you have wonderful, easy life. But eventually, sometimes life happens, we call it. It's, it's a sobering moment when we recognize that we've not been realizing life while we're living it. That we've not been living full, fully alive that we haven't wholly engaged in the privilege of being human for the few precious years we have on this earth. You talk to somebody who has gone through a severe sickness. They didn't plan that in their life. They didn't want that. But when not, I've talked to people, they've come out of that sickness. They look back and they said, oh, I'm thankful for flowers. I'm thankful for shoes. I'm thank what happened to them? Their perspective got changed greatly. And they realized something about how wonderful it is to simply be alive. The poet Robert Abrams once wrote, some men die by shrapnel. Going out with a fight. Some men go down, some go down in flames. Woo! Go out fighting in a flare. But most men perish inch by inch in play at little games. Are we just playing little games? 
Do you know we just had Easter Sunday service and there, it's already Wednesday? What'd you do Monday and Tuesday? Well, I, I think I ate supper. I checked, I clocked in and clocked out and went to sleep and I think I just looked at some news. Is that what, is that living? Hang with me. You think I'm getting ready to sell something, don't you? I'm not. Are we experiencing what it means to truly be a human being? Are we really living? I'm not going to teach on how to be selfish and just live for ourselves because that's not truly living either. I'm not going to come across with some humanistic approach that just we need to do whatever makes us happy. That's what we're here for, just to be as happy as we can and then we die. I'm not going to try to convey that we should just be happy all the time or we should only do what the flesh desires. All of that is wrong and against the word of God. But I think we need to find a balance here because we hear this all the time and hear me out. That's what I'm saying. You're going to have to listen to everything because you can take me out of context. You're going to vote me out. You're going to have to hear me out. Jesus is much more concerned of you being holy than you being happy. Okay, he's not concerned as much about your happiness as he is about you making it to heaven and you being holy. But don't lean so far that way that you think happiness is a sin. He don't mind you being happy. You understand? You follow that? Because Sometimes we lean so far, it's like, oh, hang on to the bitter end. Oh, if you can make it, good luck. That's not, I don't think, very scriptural. Will there be wars? Will there be, will there be fights? Will there be spiritual warfare? Will there be, pro yes, 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 and three times yes. But in the meantime of that, there will be mountaintops, and there will be victory, and there will be glory, and there will be excitement, this is a very good life living for the Lord. You never have a down day? Oh, I have very down days. Do you have an up day? I have very up days. It's life. What are we going to do with all of those? But I want to take us down a path that's probably going to make us think a whole lot and maybe even make me a little nervous trying to teach this because I don't want to be misunderstood, nor do I want to get outside of the word of God by any means. But then the question again I pose, are we truly living? It's one thing to wake up and, and realize you've been sleep asleep, but it's another thing to wake up and actually start living. So life while we live it involves more than merely just trying to stay away and go through the motions and, and do the right things and pay attention. Sure, if you believe in evolution and we just accidentally came from, what do they call crystals and then wings came off and all of a sudden, then here we are. It was an accident. It was just by chance. And then you're just going to die someday. Then absolutely be miserable. You have a right to be because there's nothing to live for. Everything was an accident. You shouldn't even be here, but you accidentally got here. Whatever you want to say. What a miserable way to live. But again, most of us sense this idea that there is that more. There's something there. I'm not talking about our soul longing for God, okay? So this is really going to get technical. 
Because again, as soon as I start, it's like, well, don't tell people. It's just low, overcoming life, and it's all exciting. You, you just need to have a good life, and you do. But you can't have that, first and foremost, outside of Jesus. He is the longing in every heart and soul. He fills that longing in our heart, and that's vitally important that we realize that. But I'm talking to people who may be saved and really love Jesus, but there's still this sense in you that something's not right. Something is embedded in each of us that has this calling that's wanting to get out. Think of children, okay? Let's think of our kids. I believe they instinctively embark upon this as, as they, they quest for life. They explore and they look around. They discover. Give them a cardboard box. They smile and they laugh and they giggle and they coo and they get inside. They'll play with that thing for hours. Ladies and cardboard box. Give me a cardboard box. Why is that in the living room? Cut that thing up and get it out of the house and get trash everywhere. Why? Because we got a house to keep clean. We got we to work. We got to pay for this stuff. We got to get on with life. A balloon. They're thrilled with balloons. You parents know that. As soon as we'd have something in the gym with the balloons in there, all the kids crying out the door wanting a balloon. Mesmerized with that. They love light switches. We always have to stop it. Why do we tell them stop it? Because they'll wear it out. I mean, you don't, want them, I, you don't want them to do it at church, I guess, but I always wonder why we tell kids certain things to stop doing certain things when they're discovering. It'll blow a light bulb. They're not real expensive. It'll make this anyway. I'll get on with my parenting some other time. But somehow I think along the way, we become sleepy or just tired or going through the mundane regarding our significance and that we are created by God and we simply just shift to clock in, clock out, eat supper, go to bed, get up, eat breakfast, clock in, clock out, and we go through motions. 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, what do you, what do you, what do you redeem from? From your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers. Let me read this in NLT and it flips it around. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. Vain conversations. Empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with silver and gold, which lose their value. Jesus came to redeem you. Ultimately, so we can be saved and go to heaven. But he also came to redeem us from our empty way of living. Jesus came to redeem us from that vain or ungodly and unproductive and ineffectual way of living. But what happened? Are we truly living while we're still breathing and while we're alive? Have we lost touch with the day in and day out experience of being fully Human, because that requires the privilege 
of being a human being made in the image of God. It means grappling and fighting to engage with my full humanity. I'm not talking about being a selfish person. I'm not talking about some humanistic view. So then let's back up then. What is humanity? What does it even mean to be human? What is a healthy human being? What distinguishes us from the animal kingdom? Teenage boys, not much. What distinguishes us from the animal kingdom? Simple definition from Webster's. You ready? Defines humanity as the quality or state of being human. Wow. That's not really going to get me up in the morning. I'm going to need a little more than that. Maybe we can start something like this. My humanity, because I am made in the image of God, because I'm a human being, I have the capacity to embrace the significance of my existence and your existence as images of his likeness. You were made in the image of God. The more willing I'm able and willing to embrace my significance and yours, the fuller my humanity. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, we can kill millions of babies and people just turn their head. What's a human being anyway? This is why oh, another shooting. Oh boy, four more people lost their lives. That's a shame. Humans lost their lives. This is so something at the very core of who we are because again, I, 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 not to insult your intelligence, but I need you to get this phrase. We are made in the image of God. Okay, so all of you had been here the past few Wednesdays. You need me to stop. Okay, Brother Bland, you spent this last little series you did, you spent the whole time telling us God is magnificent. And you're nothing but a bunch of dirt and you're insignificant. You spent the whole time, two or three lessons, telling us. Brother Tubb told me, he said, I got so low, I could just slither out the door. I didn't have to open the door. I was so little. I said, you listen, <laughs> you get an A. We're just a tiny speck in this great universe. We're just a blip. We're just our, 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 our light is but a vapor. The Bible tells us all this. So what am I doing? Well, I'm trying to avoid all of what I said. No, 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 no. That is all true. But I also told you what should bring us to life in that is that in our insignificance, in our blip in the eternity, in our life as a vapor, in our smallness, the all-sufficient God of all creation loves you and created you just how you are. That ought to make us feel pretty good. And when 1 Peter tells us that Jesus shed his blood to redeem us from a meaningless insignificance, ineffectual life, that truly means something. An animal's life is one of mere existence, but God's word is very clear about the dignity and uniqueness of our humanity. Genesis 1:27. So God created man, how? In his own image, 
in the image of God created him, male and female created he them. Psalm 139, 14, I will praise thee. Why? Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know you not? Your body, your flesh, your body is the temple of God. Think of that one. In, in which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Why? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Embracing that the God of all creation wanted me, so he created me. That's not something to just quickly overlook. I, I love that thing, and I'll, I'll botch it up, but it's like the Lord was created and all these things. He, he created a giant oak tree and the, 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 the mountain ranges and the, the valleys and the, and the Grand Canyon and all these marvelous things. And you're like, oh, breathtaking. I almost joked. Breathtaking, all these wonderful things that God did. And then he said, you know what I need. You know what would help this creation. I need a Mitchell Bland. Well, you're pretty, you know what else he said? He said, I need a Paula Barlow. He said, I need a Margot and a Terry and a Shannon. That's what God said. No one is no accident. You're not an accident. You're bought with a price. He created you in his image. And so embracing that the God of all creation wanted us and saw us and made us, I was made in his image and we house the spirit of God in us. Why? Because I'm a human being. This didn't happen to dogs. I know all you dog lovers, but it doesn't happen to horses. It doesn't happen to cats and hamsters. It's human beings. And there is a privilege of being made in the image of God and a privilege of being like him and a privilege of his spirit residing in us. So fully embracing that means I go beyond. It's morning, clock in, clock out. I need to engage with this idea of why do I exist and look for that significance in everybody else Everybody was made in the image of God. That person, yes, that one. My neighbor that is just a jerk, that one too. That person that's so obnoxious at McDonald's, quit going there. Yes, that one too. When I say physical, as humans, we're, we're, we're physical and we're a spiritual being, I believe. When I say physical, I, not, not just flesh and blood, and that's part of it, flesh and bones. And I'm also referring to, 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 to physical, tangible experiences of human life. Things like relationships, family and friends. Sure, the senses, that the taste, the touch, the smell. Health or wellness, that, that's all part of the physical world. Intellect, gaining knowledge, understanding things. That's, that's the physical world. Even having emotional experiences, crying or laughing, that's, that, that's the physical world. 
imagining things, creating things, our vocation, our careers, our jobs, our, our, our financial uh, status, our, our being able to acquire food and, and shelter and clothing and our culture or in our society and our environment. That is all in the physical realm of who we are as people. But if it's just that, then I'm still not fully alive. If I have all the wealth in the world, what good is that in exchange for my soul? I'm still not alive. For humanity to be fully tasted, I need to experience both the humanity, the physical in, in both forms, in spiritual and in the physical. Let me give you some examples that maybe help you, that help clarify what I'm trying to say here. If you experience only the vocational dimension without a spiritual component, you're simply going to become a workaholic because you're not going to be fulfilled. Try all you want. You're just going to keep acquiring and making more money and doing what you can and having careers, and you're not going to be fulfilled. If my focus is only on relational arena, it's just in that arena, and it's just that's how I want to live. It's just that's the, that's the fulfillment, I think, in my head to have relationships without a spiritual foundation. I'm going to become codependent to what's going to happen there. If I'm preoccupied only in the emotional realm, I'm going to have a dysfunctional self-absorption. If I'm only focused on material things, the more toys I have, I win when I die. I'm consumed with that and I'm not consumed or I don't even know about the spiritual component. I'll never have enough. I'll constantly want more stuff. So it's going to take a balance here because we are here now in the flesh. We are alive, but what are we doing? Why are we here to make money? I think that's probably not a bad idea. But if that's your whole goal, you'll never have enough. To have relationships and have family and have a good time together, and I think that's good. But if that's what, makes you, that's what you think life is, you'll never laugh enough. You'll never go to enough parties. You'll never have enough friends and family. It will not work. Let me, let me give you three examples here. Let's, let's go. Let's talk about Jake. Use some names here. Jake was a phenomenal businessman. He was a very successful entrepreneur. He didn't have time for anything spiritual of any, or any interest in it whatsoever. He was building his empire, and he did a good job at it. Very, very wealthy man. One day, his adult son came to him and opened up painfully and honestly with him and saying, telling his dad that he said, he told his dad, he said, I think that you're, more than, you're just more like a machine that churns out money than a human who could love. I'm sure Jake's son had the nicest stuff. But it was only on the physical. There was never any spiritual component to this. Jake was just focusing on the physical side. Let's take a look at Stan. This one's going to sting a little bit more. For most of his life, he under, his understanding of following Jesus revolved around the notion that God had saved me from humanity. He grew up thinking that the elements of the physical realm are at most sinful or at least a waste of time and they needed to be ignored or shunned. So any vocation that was not ministry related was less than God's best. 
Shame on all of you for having jobs so we can have a building. Y'all need to be pastoring somewhere. You understand, this ain't even gonna work. But that's how some people, Stan was passionate about anything in life, was considered sinful. I'm sorry, Stan, being, if, if you were being passionate about anything in life, was considered sinful excess and dangerous temptations. Feelings and emotions were distrusted. Stan picked up the notion that more spiritual he became, the less involved he'd be with his human pursuits. Sensually, the version of Christianity he had been taught was that Jesus was anti-humanity. The flesh was wicked and evil and terrible. Third one, let's talk about Sue. She wasn't a Christian. Christians seem odd and irrelevant to her and seemed out of touch. She was wholehearted about being generative with her life, just being a, a good person. She, she did realize something was missing, and so she started devoting her energies to the physical side of the spectrum, and, and, and it was leaving her less than fully human. She felt something was still missing. Something still felt out of balance. And so you know what she did? She was a little closer, but she chased after meditation and deep breathing exercises and, and, and nature trips to try to fulfill something that was missing down on the inside of her. Three case studies we have. We look at Jake, the workaholic, the entrepreneur that had wealth but wasn't fulfilled in our life journey, the spiritual is what makes the physical significant. Many accentuate the importance of the spiritual realm, and that's important. But some Christians emphasize it to the extent of having such a deep preoccupation with the spiritual that the physical experience of life is downplayed or even squelched like it's something bad. If you have a nice house, Something's wrong with you. If you can afford to go out to a restaurant, I'm not sure that's how God has called us to be. Can we get out of balance? Yes, but I think we can get out of balance both ways. Too many Christians believe that the physical realm is contrary to our relationship with God. That things in the physical realm are at best distractions and, and worst, at worst are sinful and that physical experiences in life can't help us get closer to God, but instead they lead us away from him. That somehow our walk with God only applies to the spiritual realm. When we're at church, we're in the spiritual realm. But if we're not careful when we're at home, we're in the physical realm. Ladies and gentlemen, May I submit to you that we should always be in the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm. Everything we do, everywhere we go, everyone we talk to, cue Pastor Saucer Sermon again. Everything should be about living for Jesus and we do everything through living for him and being a, a, a holy human being in, in service to God. So when I take this path, I, I end up thinking that to become truly spiritual, it's necessary and vital to, to de-emphasize and then overcome my humanity. 
We say things like we're crucified with Christ. I get what we're saying, but we're not saying literal to be a human. To, to be non-human is the only way to get close to Jesus. That's not what that's saying. It's saying our motives and our philosophies and our sinful nature is crucified with Christ. Not our humanity. Confusing worldliness with being human and sinfulness with, with being a human being and dying to self with dying to humanity. Don't get those messed up. That's not what we're doing here. It's not about dying and I'm, I'm no longer human. That is not what Jesus came to save. He came to save our soul, our sin nature. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with Jake making money. Nothing wrong with you making money. The imbalance comes when our motive, our sinful nature gets in the way. And it's all about making money. And it's all about flaunting money. That's where it gets in trouble. I know I'm just a loose cannon here tonight. I thank God for rich people. Well, why would you say that? Because they have bought buildings for people. They have funded missionaries. They have spread the gospel to the whole world that would not have happened unless God would have given them the talent to know how to work and to be an entrepreneur and to make money. Well, I'll tell you this right now. They're not quite as spiritual as me. <laughs> when do we do that? When do we categorize who's spiritual and who's not by what positions do you hold? It's a body fitly framed together. Everybody works together. And it's important for the kingdom of God. So again, I get stuck on money because sometimes that's our hang up. And, and again, I, I, if, if this church ever turns into, we just got to have more money in it because why? Well, so we can have nicer stuff. Well, that's a falsehood and that's unnecessary. But the problem is keeping things in balance Jake had no time for church, he had no time for God or his family. He was completely out of balance. God gave him certain abilities and giftings and thank God for that, but he did not use them for the purpose God gave them to him for. Because then you have Stan, the church guy who believed any good thing was sinful. Anything that would bring joy or happiness or pleasure straight from the enemy, straight from the devil. Since when did Jesus come to dehumanize us? Jesus came again to save us from our sin, from our empty, open rebelliousness, not from being human and living here on this earth. If that were the case, as soon as we were saved, whoo, we'd be translated. If that's all he wanted... We just be translated. I'm trying again to strike a balance. And I understand that we're, 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 we are to die daily and all those things. But we've got to understand what Jesus came. He came to die, not with gold and silver, but with his precious blood to redeem us from an empty life. That's what he came for. Balance comes with being physical and spiritual. We can laugh at a joke, but if it's an off-color joke that takes our mind to ungodly things, that's not okay. We can enjoy a sunset, but if we do that every night and we're supposed to be at work, <laughs> we're supposed to be at church, we're supposed to be with our family, 
We're doing it to avoid those things. That's not okay. We can celebrate at a birthday party, but if we gorge ourselves until it's unhealthy, that's not okay. We can work hard to make money, but if it's just to prove and to flaunt how much money I have, becomes an issue of pride. That's not okay. This is why, again, the spiritual and the, the physical have to be linked together. You cannot separate them. And again, Sue, our third case study, she was probably the closest in realizing the two parts, but she was just trying to fill the void with something different than God and what her true purpose was. John 10, 10, you know this well. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy Jesus saying these words, I'm come that you can hang on to the bitter end. I've come that you might have life. Let me say it again, Jesus saying, not just life, abundant life. That's what he said. So Jake, Jesus is saying there's more to life than physical things. The physical apart from the spiritual is empty. Stan, Jesus is saying that to become more like him, it's not to become less human. And Sarah, Jesus is saying he is who who you're missing. He makes a balanced life possible. Maybe we can say that Jesus is not about making us some sort of super spiritual, unnatural beings, but he's interested in making us fully alive, fully human. He's interested in our spiritual, but he's also interested in our humanity. This is why Living for Jesus is not compartmentalized like I mentioned before. It's everything that we do. Some people work to cultivate a spiritual life and then they live their natural life over there somewhere else and they're separate. We can't afford to do that. I'm I'm saying go to work. That's spiritual. You don't know my job. How do you know it's not spiritual? Everything we do is spiritual because we're spirit beings filled with the spirit. Paying your bills. Last time, I don't talk in tongues paying my bills. Well, maybe you should. (laughs) Point is, that's an important part of living. Thank God he gave us money to pay our bills. I'm also saying reading your Bible is physical. Praying is physical. It's all wound together. When Jesus walked, He did wonderful things everywhere he went. There were people healed and needs and people that needed to be ministered to and lessons to be taught and rest that needed to happen. That's what Jesus did many times. Think of it. While people still needed him, while people still needed to be healed, while people still needed the gospel preached, he went and took a nap. I'm not sure about him. Work while it is day for no man work. We quote all these scriptures, and that's important. I'm not knocking scripture. Please don't misinterpret my tone. But sometimes, folks, we get stuff so out of balance. Every one of you, if you don't have enough rest, you know what you turn into? An adult two-year-old. You just throw fits. There's just an adult forms, yelling at people and kicking the cat and doing all kinds of stuff. Maybe you need a nap. Is that spiritual? Oh, 
It's very spiritual. <laughs> it has saved my family many times. No, the point is, getting stuff in balance here. Can I say someone else? Jesus, while he was here on earth, he was at a wedding celebration one time. A party. And to top it off, they were at a party where there was a bride and groom who no doubt that night Oh, dear God. And Jesus was there. Bring on the Kool-Aid. Was he spiritual? Y'all can tell Jesus. Tell him he wasn't spiritual. You go right ahead. But I think he was spiritual. But he still went to a party. But while he was there, he was still spiritual and physical because he cared for needs of people while he was there. Again, none of that may sound spiritual, going to a party or taking a nap. And according to the way some people view spirituality, it's not. But the thing about it is, I got to quit. But we got to balance this, ladies and gentlemen. A lot more to say about this. I hope it didn't confuse you too much. Think I'm some humanistic philosopher up here. I'm not at all. I'm just saying he shed his blood to give you abundant life. Don't just clock in and clock out. Somebody come alive and live. Look at the sunset and look at the flowers and notice people and look around you. God has given us wonderful things to enjoy. Why didn't he just make everything? Bleh. Why do you think the earth is so beautiful? For his pleasure, yes, but I get to enjoy it. And I don't think there's one thing wrong with that. When there is a balance in our life. Stand together, I'm over time. Oh, goodness. I hope to help somebody in this little series we're going to do. Help you understand it. You can come alive. God has created you for more than clocking in and clocking out and breathing in and breathing out. Let's place something in you for a wonderful reason. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, O God. You didn't mess us up. You didn't make mistakes, Lord, but you came to redeem our soul. So thankful for that because life's not worth living without you. But help us to understand that to strike this balance that we can still, while we're living here on our journey to heaven, we can still have an abundant life and show the world how wonderful it is to live for you and what a great God you are. I pray that you would help us, Jesus. I pray that you would let people smile who haven't smiled in a long time. Let people rejoice over things that they, they've not seen in a long time, Lord. Lift up people's hearts. Encourage our spirits. Let us walk after you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to be more like you in everything that we do. I pray that you'd bless each one of us now. Keep us in your care, I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.